Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 watch podcast. I am the internet's beloved Princess Grace. With me as always is my co-host Timmy. How you doing today, Timmy? I'm doing pretty good. How are you today, Grace? Oh, can't complain. Thanks for asking. I can tell you I'm just pleased as punch to talk about Season 3, Episode 4, Queen for a Day. Directed by Jeremiah Chekik. Written by Bob Goodman. Original air date, August 8, 2011. And let me tell you, this is a horny one. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly a horny one. It's also the first episode we've had in a very long time that doesn't open on a recap. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. Was like instead of opening on a recap, we instead open in the ovoid quarantine with Artie chasing down that scarab from a few episodes ago that Claudia let out. Right. Yeah. It uh. It continues to be extremely elusive. It seems to be able to burrow into solid objects without, like, leaving a hole behind. Mm-hmm. Fiendish. It, yeah, it's a it's a devilish little bugger. <laughs> uh, if you've ever tried to catch a scarab beetle in a box, and I haven't, it seems like it would suck. Right. Uh, Claudia and Steve are already out in the field. Yep, they are already at a Civil War reenactment looking for Ulysses S. Grant's flask, which apparently makes you think you're Ulysses S. Grant if you drink from it. This task is made more difficult by the fact that everyone is carrying an old-timey flask. Yeah. It's a weird thing for an artifact to do, right? Like, did... I don't think there's any historical context there. Did... Ulysses S. Grant drink from a flask to remind himself who he was? I know he was a drunk, like, but maybe he did. I mean, the flask made it, saw him through a lot of battles, so maybe that's where it got its uh, magical powers to make you think you're fighting the Civil War. Yeah. Something that would not be noticeable as long as you're still fighting the Civil (laughs) War. (laughs) (laughs) It's never... It's always, it's honestly kind of weird, like, you know, these, this is always, you know, famous history person's item, but it's kind of vague as to whether the thing had the magic powers at the time or whether it, or whether it gained them by virtue of being associated with magic person. It seems like it varies. Yeah, in this case, it seems that it, uh, was caused by it being in close proximity to uh, all of these battles or whatever. Yeah, but it's implied so it was that... A nor- Sorry, go ahead. It was a normal flask until uh, the Civil War made it yeah. less normal. Yeah, but it's implied that, say, Harriet Tubman's thimble was magic while Harriet Tubman still had it. Yeah, like she used it for its effect. Yeah. And it's notable because, like, a lot of... They talk about how every artifact has a downside. I don't think Harriet Tubman's thimble does at all. Yeah, they say yeah, they say every artifact has a cost, but what they really mean is every artifact has a cost if we can think of one that's dramatically appropriate. Right. Like yeah, sometimes they're their own downsides, like the flask that makes you think you're in the civil war you're fighting the civil war. Right, not not a particularly useful thing day to day. Yeah. Mostly downside. Yeah. 
But yeah, Harriet Tubman's thimble seems to be 100% upside. You can impersonate anyone with pretty much no ramifications. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, so Artie is running around, uh, you know, trying to grab the scarab. Pete is just kind of sitting there and fucking around. He's not helping. Pete is just making the same Top Gun reference over and over. Yeah. And no one gets it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> until until uh, you know, the phone rings and Lena tells Pete that his ex-wife is here to see him. Yeah, uh, big plot twist. Pete was married and now is, uh, his ex-wife is here for some reason. Yep, uh, and we meet Amanda Latimer, who is a major in the Marines? Yeah, yeah, she's Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Also walking around in a dress uniform. Yeah. Like, that's not normal. Yeah, it seems weird that she would do this for this, like, purely social call with her ex-husband. Right, she's not there on official business. I think the guidelines say you don't wear your uniform for that. Yeah. Because she did say she had to, like, apply for clearance to go visit Pete. Yeah, Maybe. so she... maybe she had to uh, wrap it up in some sort of official business that she claimed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe she had to pull rank. Uh... She was, uh... Traveling on the company card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, when you said Marine Corps, right? My brain parsed it as like a music genre. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've heard of Cottage Core. Get ready for Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, uh, surprisingly, uh, maybe more fascist than Cottage Core. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's either fashy or it just means you like being on a boat. Right. Uh, and, uh, so... So, we see Amanda, Amanda's at the bed and breakfast. Uh, she is talking... She is there with Lena and Micah. Uh, Lena, you know, it's like... Micah's all gross after, you know, getting this beehive thing from a place. And... You know, she's all, oh, I want to go take a shower or whatever until Lena introduces her to, this is Amanda Latimer. Micah is immediately like, oh, you're Pete. Not mom, yeah. not sister. Yeah. Cousin? Not, yeah. And again, we, this is, uh, she even says like, well, I know you're not Pete's sister because you can hear me. Right. Yeah. She just sort of vaguely gestures towards her ear. Yeah. So again, props to Warehouse 13. Still remembering Pete has a sister. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh... Yeah. I know I was shitty in the first episode about how they were never gonna bring this up again, and yet here we are. <laughs> yeah, although... You know, ultimately, she's going to appear on screen. Oh. So they're just they're just getting more and more into remembering Pete's sister. <laughs> Uh, if the show hadn't been recorded 10 years ago, I think they're listening to this podcast and they're doing this just to spite me. <laughs> it's always a possibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, endless wonder and all that. Yeah, and yet those time-traveling show writers haven't once offered me a job. Right. Rude of them. When you have such good ideas. Yeah. It, well, I, 
why offer me a job when you can just hear me complain about it on the podcast and go back and, I guess, not listen to me? Yeah, I, I guess if you, uh, if you can time travel, like, I don't know, power move, I guess? Yeah. I mean, if I... <laughs> Acknowledge your haters and ignore them? Yeah. There's probably a time loop thing going on where, you know, if you hear the idea in the future, go back and implement it, then... You know, there's no complaining about it on the podcast, so where did the idea right. come from? You've got a Johnny B. Good situation. So Pete's ex-wife uh, showed up under the pretense that she had something for Pete. An old copy of a comic book he had. Yeah. Which I guess he, like, left with her, his ex-wife that he's been separated from for apparently years yeah he thought it was lost forever and apparently it was just at her place (coughs) all right i and it's not even the only thing apparently she had a signed baseball of his in her bag just in case yeah (laughs) in case the uh the comic wasn't good enough yeah. But ultimately, her reason to be here was because she needed a ring back yeah, she, from she, him. She wanted her grandfather's ring back from him. Which, it seems a little bit of a stretch for her to be, like, showing up here asking for a ring back. Why didn't you get the ring back when you divorced? Right, like, hey, that's my uh, grandfather's ring. Can I have it back? Like, I don't know. It, yeah. I guess it's maybe a touchier subject at the very moment you're getting divorced. Yeah. And just, like, let it rock for a bit. Yeah. Like, it's... It is kind of implied that their divorce wasn't great because, you know, it was at least yeah. partially Pete's alcoholism related. Yeah, it seemed at least mutual, but neither of them were particularly happy about it. Yeah. Yo, they they clearly like each other enough for, like, this to happen, and they, they get along well enough. And also, uh, Micah points out that Amanda's new husband looks an awful lot like Pete. Right. A, a thing that Pete immediately denies, because he's way cooler than that guy. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, yes, if only because Pete is no longer a troop. Right. <laughs> Although he is a cop now. Yeah, so, eh, kind of a lateral move there. Right. Uh. So, uh, Micah had left the, uh, this pyramid-shaped beehive on the table, mm-hmm. and bad things happen when you leave artifacts around people who have no idea what artifacts are. Yeah, much and is made of, you know, much is made of the fact that you can't, like, you know, they refuse to tell Amanda what they do here, because, you know, it's all right. top secrets. Yeah, and they keep this up for entirely too long. Yeah. Which like, like at some point, just throw in the towel and tell her. Yeah, because like they do later on, like put an artifact into the bag and watch it all over the place. Because like it seems in other episodes they have 
let the masquerade drop way easier to people who had much less to lose. Right. Like, she almost certainly already has some sort of security clearance in her position. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, you probably shouldn't go around spreading the uh, warehouse's uh, secrets, but she's probably the most trustworthy person you could tell about this stuff. Yeah. Also, uh, there's something where Artie comes in and, and he's like, oh, you must be Pete's ex-wife, who he never mentioned before and that none of us do about. But Artie, isn't your whole thing that you know everything about everyone? Like, you can, you have your magic computer that can tell if a, a fly is trying to access a Swedish ATM, but you didn't, like, pull public records to find out that Pete was married at some point? Right, like, he has to have done research on the people that they were, uh, pulling into the warehouse, and, like, married is certainly something that ought to come up when you're, uh, doing a background check. Yeah, exactly, like, it's, it's a public record, it's not hidden, like, it's... Right. Uh... Yeah, it's like, have you been married, and what's every car you've ever owned? Yeah, like, you know... <laughs> uh bizarre it's still super weird to me that that's a public record so you can get spam calls that are extremely specific yep <sighs> not great like what purpose does that serve for anyone yeah yeah it's also really weird every t- if you've ever tried to buy car insurance they're like you know Oh yeah, you know, hang on, you know, give me your license plate number or whatever, and I'll just look up what kind of car you have so we know what rates to charge you. Yeah, like when I sign up for insurance, it's like, oh, this is your address. Do you want to also insure this car that belongs to your roommate? And this car that belongs to your roommate? And this car? Ah, <laughs> uh, spooky. Yeah, like they just have a directory of all of the cars at every address ever. Yeah. Normal. Normal thing to yeah. have. Uh, and then uh, we get a scene with, you know, Pete is, you know, talking about, apparently he, uh, he didn't see much of Amanda after, he didn't see Amanda very much after he went sober because he's like, oh, well, this is now my chance to make amends. Yeah. And so he apologized. Yeah, part of his program is making amends with the people he wronged, and apparently uh, trying to make amends with Amanda was the thing he dreaded most, so he just didn't. Mm-hmm. He just didn't see her. Yeah. So I'm not. Which sh- also, they were divorced, so. Yeah. So, Fair. Yeah, like, I'm. I'm not sure what the timeline of Pete's life looks like, but. Right, but presumably his career pulled him to D.C., her career pulled her to wherever, because that's how uh, being in the military works. Yeah, pretty much. And so, and Amanda, there's a lot of back and forth where Amanda's like, oh, well, you went from D.C. to, you know, the middle of nowhere, South Dakota, you know, must be a a punishment, you must be shitty at your job. Uh, Right, which, in fairness, is a totally reasonable read of what happens when a Secret Service agent gets relocated to South Dakota. Yeah, yeah, and, like, this is, this has come up before. Like, this is, this has been said to both Pete and Micah before. And, uh, yeah, like, especially given that apparently Pete and Micah worked pretty close to the president before this. 
you know, that's got to be the show for Secret Service agents, like, as opposed to, say, you know, doing their anti-counterfeiting work or whatever. Right. Yeah, I was just checking to see if there was a U.S. Mint location somewhere uh, near South Dakota, but there is not. Yeah, I think the closest one to there would be in Denver. Yeah, it looks like. Where is West Point? Okay, West Point, New York. Yeah. Yeah, Denver is definitely the closest since it's Denver, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and West Point. Yeah, and there's a lot of Air Force bases in South Dakota mostly, but, you know, none of those are really places you'd put Secret Service guys. Yeah, yeah, Secret Service has a pretty specific role, mm-hmm. and... Like, they have, like, everyone forgets that they get to uh, protect the mints, too, but that's a thing they do. Yeah, they have, like, we've talked about this before, they have several very weirdly specific and disjoint responsibilities. There's the president right. part, the, the anti-counterfeiting part, I think they have some anti-cybercrime responsibilities. Uh, yeah, governments are almost never... Uh, uh, governments, like... Ours are almost never designed from the ground up to make sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, the reason the Secret Service also protects the president is that Lincoln was, you know, creating the Secret Service to fight counterfeiting during the Civil War, and then he got shot. And so, right. hmm, we should, we should come up with something to protect the president. We're already making this thing, so, yeah, might yeah, as well. Yeah, seems like a good... A good opportunity. I don't want to drop a second bill. Yeah, because, like, government agencies will just end up with responsibilities. Like, we have Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, and we also have uh, Border Patrol, which are, like, two separate organizations. Yeah. (laughs) And, like... There's no good explanation as to what does what, except that ICE is very new, because we haven't had it, uh, yeah, we didn't have it until the Patriot Act. Yeah, and that's the other thing, is that the Patriot Act happened and, you know, created this Department of Homeland Security and put a bunch of stuff under that. And Yeah, they're finally talking about sunsetting Congress's uh, declaration of war powers from uh, 2002. <laughs> Uh, Very cool and normal country. Uh, what more could you want? Uh, I mean, probably more forever wars if you're uh, <laughs> if you're in the administration. You know me. I love my endless <laughs> melees of nonsense. I I love it. I think it's good and normal. I hate this country. Yeah. So, uh, long story short, the bee from the beehive ends up in Steve's ex-wife's bag. Steve? Uh, yeah, not Steve. Pete. Pete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll see Steve's ex later. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and, uh, we are introduced to Artie's Law, which is just Murphy's Law, but with the word artifact in there. <laughs> right. Yeah, anything that can go wrong with an artifact will. Uh. So they have to chase down uh, Pete's ex-wife at her wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
It's a big wedding because she rented a castle in the Poconos because she wants to be a princess for a day. Right, and we even got the title card that says a rented castle in the Poconos. Yeah, they have fun with the title cards. I also noted that uh, the safety glasses they have to use in the oval containment room, those rule. Yeah, I'm a big fan. The big round safety glasses with like separate side shields. Yeah, and like the the red or the pink uh, tint. Yes. Uh, put on your rose-colored glasses, kids. Uh, and then, long story short, Amanda is reaching for something in her bag, and she gets stung by this little metal bee. And then we cut to. Uh, and we cut to uh, Claudia and Steve trying to get that flask. Yep, they're all uh, dressed as uh, Confederate soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> because that's a good idea, I guess. Well, they're at a Civil War reenactment. I mean, you do blend in. Yeah, like... I forget I if... would think it's easier to check people for Ulysses S. Grant's flask... If you join up on the Union side, though. Yeah, that's a good point. It, uh, <laughs> they would have dealt with a lot less guys, like, you know, shooting them and being like, ah, oh, hey, you're dead, you jerk. Yeah, you have to lay on the ground. This is a reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, there's a guy, you know, fake shoots Claudia, and he's very snotty about, like, Hey, do you know how much it costs to defoliate those trees so it looks like the battle of whatever? Lie on the ground. Right. And then Claudia's just like, oh, okay, I'm dead, and walks away. Yeah. And, like, at that point, you would be fine. You're not going to see the same guy. He's lying on the ground dead because Steve fake shot him. Yeah. Like, so you can just go about your business, but instead she goes back to attempt to change. Yeah. That is a good point. It would make... Uh, well, you never know, uh, right? You know, if you're, a, if you're in a Confederate graze and you drink from Ulysses S. Grant's flask, you're still, I guess, going to think you're fighting the Civil War. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not certain uh, well, no, the I, exact effects. Well, though, the flask does say, like, U.S. Grant on the side, so it would be weird for you to be wearing that if you were... Pretending to be a Confederate soldier. Yeah, you should at least be like, "Oh, this is a cool, uh, a cool uh, flask for a Union soldier." Yeah, or you know, I guess you could act like it's a war trophy, but that would imply that you killed someone who not only <laughs> didn't die in the Civil War, but would go on to be president. Right. I personally <laughs> murdered Ulysses S. Grant, and I have this flask to prove it. Hi, welcome to our welcome to our alternate Civil War ending, where the North still wins, but Ulysses S. Grant dies. <laughs> so, when they first enter the scene dressed as uh, Confederate soldiers, uh, Steve makes a comment about them being like Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. And Claudia is very insistent that she's Laverne, and I have no idea what that means. Yeah, I, uh, I've never seen the show. I don't know which one is which. Right, I'm vaguely aware of the format of the show. I have no idea what it means to be a Laverne. Yeah. But Steve seems unhappy to be a Shirley. 
Yeah. It seems weird that you would invite that comparison if you didn't want to be one of them. Right. I I, I have, however, watched the the Saturday morning cartoon version, Laverne and Shirley Join the Army, where it's Laverne, Shirley, and a, a talking anthropomorphic pig. Oh, hell yeah. And they are in the army. <laughs> That's exactly what Laverne and Shirley needed, was a talking anthropomorphic pig. Yeah. The pig is like their superior, and he's a real piece of shit, you know, which I guess makes sense. Yeah, normal stuff. This was in the same, uh, if you've ever seen the Fonz and the Happy Days gang, which is the, you know, Happy Days cartoon where the Fonz has a- and his friends have access to a time machine. Sweet. Yeah, it's a uh, same period of time studio. They were actually... And in fact, the following in season two, the series was titled Laverne and Shirley with the Fonz. And combined with combined with an adaptation of Mork and Minnie to form the Mork and Minnie slash Laverne's and Shirley slash Laverne and Shirley slash Fonz hour. Fantastic. Laverne and Shirley were joined by the characters of the Fonz, voiced by Henry Winkler, and his anthropomorphic dog, Mr. Cool, voiced by Frank Welker, from the animated series The Fonz of the Happy Days Gang, working as mechanics in the army camp's motor pool. So, which why I, is there? <laughs> why is there so many great concepts for uh, shows that have been entirely forgotten from Hanna Barbera? Right, like uh, a spinoff of Happy Days described as a knockoff of Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> like what could be better? <laughs> I've seen it. I have some episodes of it lying around somewhere. Like it's. I mean, it's not good. It is exactly what you would expect from a, you know, a, an 80s Hanna-Barbera cartoon featuring they gave the Fonz a time machine. Right. Uh, uh, also, they got Wolfman Jack to narrate it, which is charming, at least. Yeah, that that's a plus. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so, uh... Pete's ex-wife has now infected her entire uh, her entire bridal party. Yep, uh, all three of the the best man, the two groomsmen. Yep, and the th- and the three bridesmaids. This is again a weirdly in dress uniform. Uh, wedding ceremony. Yeah, especially like I think you can do this. And but mind you, only Amanda's hu- new husband, who I didn't bother to write the name down of, uh, he is. So the husband is in is Marine dress uniform, as are the groomsmen. But yeah, uh, but Amanda is wearing like you know a a regular wedding dress, and her bridesmaids are dressed right. like you know bridesmaids because it's her day to be a princess and apparently her husband can't rent a normal tuxedo yeah or like dress like a prince or something he has to he has to wear the the marines outfit i guess like seriously it's your day like make it your day yeah wear whatever you want yeah if you don't want to i mean the 
I think it's probably that these characters are supposed to want to get married in their work uniform. Mm -hmm. But, like, how weird is that as a concept? Yeah, like... (laughs) Honestly, it seems like kind of a weird wedding... Like, who knows, maybe it's part of an elaborate roleplay for them where... Yeah, she is a princess and she's (laughs) being married to some, you know, militaristic kingdom to secure an alliance. I mean, that would make a lot more sense with how weird uh, her husband is. Yeah, he doesn't, like, get a lot of screen time, but he does, like, make a weird mention about owning her after the wedding. Yeah, yeah, like, they're, they're like, right before the wedding, things are finally calming down, and he's like, she's like, I finally get to marry you. And he's like, I finally get to own you, woman. Yeah, which is... (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't even passed off as, like, jokey. Yeah, it's... uh, It's weird. Like, It would make more sense if it was a kink thing, but I don't think the writers are cool enough for that. Right, yeah, I mean... I wish it were a kink thing. It'd be better. Yeah, other than... Yeah, like, I I think we're supposed to read it as flirty. Because, like, the reason he says it like that is because, uh... Okay, basically, the art... Once this metal bee stings you, it infuses you with the power of... The Pharaoh Hatshepsut? Right, and a, which, that's just a joke because Artie's been sick the entire time. Yeah. And they can't tell the difference between that and a sneeze. Yeah, there's a whole bit where, for the first half of the episode, Artie has a cold. And he's sneezing and is, he's stifling all over the place. And as you as I could tell, that's entirely to set up this joke where Artie says, Hachepset, and Micah thinks he's sneezing. Yeah, somewhere along the lines, the writers are like, Artie isn't doing anything interesting this entire episode. What if we make him chase the scarab around, and what if he's sick? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do a few cute uh, visual gags, like the really only the one where he's uh, pouring cough syrup into his mug and then instead takes a swig from the cough syrup bottle. Yeah, that was good. Uh, but, like, there's really nothing else. Like, Artie doesn't do anything this episode. Yeah, other than, like, yeah, other than do his normal job of, like, he read the beehive thing and decoded the inscriptions and told Peter Micah about it. Yeah, he eventually downs enough cough syrup that either he uh, learned how to read hieroglyphics again <laughs> or he uh, came up with really creative interpretations. Yeah. Also, remember that magical translator program Claudia used, like, a season or two <laughs> right. ago? Where was that, huh? Right. Where was that? Or, I guess there's no Helena here, even though they could have called her, but they don't really uh, have that opportunity right now. Yeah, I, She's off doing whatever it is they did to their, you know, their coolest gay character. I'm sorry, yeah, Steve, so but you're not very cool. You're kind of a Dorcas. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, they... In the past, they've had a technological solution and Helena Wells, who just knows hieroglyphics. Like, that's not surprising. 
They even had the Egyptology uh, expert of the warehouse, but he dead. Yep. So, like, all of these obstacles apparently could have been solved by Artie just knowing hieroglyphics. Yeah, which apparently he does. He's just bad at it when he has a cold. Yeah, so apparently he didn't feel like sharing that with the rest of the (laughs) class. Because there are, like, four separate instances where that would have been useful. Uh... Anyway, Although, in fairness, most of the time when they were underground, the uh, Teslas weren't working, or the Farnsworths weren't working. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe he, he figured he had to start learning how to read hieroglyphics after they started getting stuff from Warehouse 2. Right. I mean, they did have the entirety of what they could recover from Warehouse 2 to put in Warehouse 13. Yeah. Uh, no. Anyways, the the gimmick with the artifact is you touch this metal bee, it stings you, and then it makes your finger all red and swollen, and then whoever you touch with that finger makes you, you know, becomes your the little worker bee to your queen bee, and they'll do whatever you say. Uh, right. Horny. Except for some reason, because it would be really boring if she could just tell these people to stop. They don't do whatever you say. They do whatever they think they ought to to protect you. Yeah, up to and including misinterpreting the weird thing your fiancé said and mummifying him, I guess. Right. Uh, and apparently the pharaoh Hatshepsut would do this thing with a similar thing with bees, like putting a queen bee stinger inside her finger so that bees would like her or something. Right. Uh, uh, but anyways, uh, so Artie tells this to Pete and Micah. Uh, they find the bee in her bag. Uh, Pete is is holding the bee, and he says, "Behold." Yep. It's a pretty. It was a pretty good bit until he, you know, explained the joke. Right. He, yeah, you can't. Uh, you can't just leave that one to sit. You gotta explain it to make sure no one missed it. Uh, uh, like, you could have maybe said, lo and behold. That would also worked, but what are you gonna do? Right. They, uh, they bag it up, and it throws a shower of sparks. Yeah, and again... Which normally is an indication that everything's fine now. Yeah, but not this time, because there's still 15 minutes left in the episode. Uh, and also, uh... Again, if, like, keeping this sort of thing a secret is so crucially important, if keep, if making sure Amanda knows as little as possible what, about what's going on is so important, why did they do put the thing in the bag and have it make sparks right where she can see it? At least, like, you know, put yourself between the bag and her, you know? Right. If you don't want her to know you're into some weird shit, don't do the weird shit, like, right in front and- of her and be like, hey... Uh, maybe shut your eyes for a sec. Yeah, like, and they always do this, like, you know, (laughs) like, whenever they, like, have an artifact in front of, you know, someone who's not supposed to know about the warehouse, they always make a big show of, like, holding the bag at arm's reach, dropping the thing in, and, like, watching the shower of sparks happen. Which, as as is so important in TV, it's usually a very urgent matter, so that makes a little more sense. 
But in this case, Pete's just, like, waving this thing around before he shoves it in the bag. Yeah, and he seems, if anything, he seems, he goes out of his way to, like, make sure Amanda can see this. Right. Though, maybe that's the point, because he does, I think, at some point during all this, say, like, you know, do it, but I outrank you now when it comes to weird shit. Right. And he's been spending most of the time trying to justify why he's crashing his ex-wife's wedding. Yeah. Which I get, like, because Amanda did not invite Pete to her wedding. She does not want him here. Yeah, Which, and, like, not even after he saves the day. Yeah, though they do eventually get to be at the <laughs> wedding. Right, after but the, she's not like, oh, uh, you guys should stick around for the wedding since you're here. Yeah. Like, they never get an invite. Yeah, they're just kind of there because... I guess they figure they have to be, make sure everything's okay. It's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. And I'll... But yeah, they spend the whole time telling her they can't tell her what's going on. You, and then discover they haven't fixed the problem at all anyway. Yeah, and then they ha Yeah, and then, like, a bunch of shit happens. Because basically, yeah, a bunch of shit happens where, you know, the brainwashed wedding party is just wreaking havoc they're escorting people out of the building they are you know, mummifying the uh the groom yeah they're chopping down doors with their uh their ceremonial sabers yeah it's it's a whole thing much like there's a whole there's a pretty lengthy fight scene because i think they had to oh, yeah. this episode out a bit uh and where, you know, there's a big fight, there's a big fight, uh, Micah brains one of the bridesmaids with a toaster oven. Yeah, oh, I think that's all for the nice visual gag they got, where they're all up on the altar after straightening all this mess up, and, like, they're just destroyed, like, the, the bridesmaids all have, like, face wounds of some sort yeah and yeah and uh and we see uh pete leaning forward and whispering to someone during the wedding like oh it was uh mushrooms they had some bad mushrooms and all got high okay <laughs> right uh <laughs> i love how often they go to mushrooms as an excuse like people are frequently accidentally dosing themselves with uh psychedelic mushrooms thinking they're regular edible mushrooms yeah like i don't know that much about the psychoactive mushrooms but something tells me like you would notice like they don't taste good that and like you have to go pretty specifically out of your way to end up with them probably yeah because in most places i I'm under the impression that, like, yeah, like, the magic... But they're, like, tiny, shriveled things. They're not, like, you know, the nice, big, eaten mushrooms. Right. In fairness, there's a lot of tiny, shriveled mushrooms that are really tasty, yeah. uh, wild mushrooms. Yeah. But, like, uh, you shouldn't go pick mushrooms to eat unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, it's... it It's a bad lie, uh... I, Pete felt the need to do it anyways. Here we are. Right. If you know specifically what what a mushroom is, you're probably fine. Yeah. And uh, 
there's also a thing where, uh, where there, at some point, there's a, a throwaway line about, oh, we don't need to bring the Teslas to the wedding. Yeah, because if they did bring their Teslas, this would have been a much shorter episode. Right. And, like, it's hard to believe that that would be convincing to anyone at all. Yeah. Because every time they're like, oh, sounds like a piece of cake. That's when everything goes wrong, because all of the episodes are an hour long. Yeah, and, like, you know, <laughs> we had this whole thing about Artie's Law. Like, you know, shit's right. going to go wrong. Bring your fucking gun. Right. Why in the world would you not need your Tesla at a wedding when there's an artifact involved? Yeah, like, there's dudes running around with swords. Like, it's okay to bring your your magic future gun. Right. Yeah, your magic stun gun that never hurts anyone badly. Yeah, and gives them a convenient amount of amnesia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which they forget about whenever it's one of the uh, warehouse agents that uses that gets it used on them. Yeah. It's always amnesia that's convenient to the plot, and it never exists when it's inconvenient to the plot. Yeah, how handy. And, uh... And then uh, at some point during all this, we cut back to we cut back to Steve and Claudia. Uh, there's been a m- much ado has been made about you know Claudia keeps like ribbing Steve about like you know tell me about your past like which is a weird way to phrase it but you know yeah where are you from like tell me about yourself like she's trying to be friendly and Steve does not yeah. want to tell her. Which it's funny because like Claudia is very guarded about her own past like she was shocked that she told steve she was in an institution so like claudia of all people should be the one that's understanding of someone saying you know what i just don't want to talk about it yeah like people don't owe you information about themselves right i mean steve's clearly guarded and that's why claudia is probing yeah. But, like, Claudia is guarded herself, so she should at least come at this from a little more of a, uh... Be understanding about it. Yeah, like, you know exactly why you're guarded, so why is it so wrong for a co-worker of yours to also be guarded? Yeah, especially given, like, you know, you work in this fucking secret business, like, a lot of people aren't telling you things for a lot of reasons, like... But Claudia's always been someone who, if she knows that there is information there, she always wants to have it. Yeah. Which, it makes sense. I... It it comes off weird. Yeah. And part of it is she... Like, Steve is her her partner, for better or worse. And, like, she really wants to get to know him because, like... I guess she just views it as important because he's the like the closest coworker to her. Yeah, and I get it. Like you know, if you're gonna be spending all your time with someone, you want to get to know him. You want to like get some chemistry going. You want to build a relationship like what Pete and Micah have. Right. And especially since, uh, you know, in this line of work, knowing things about your partner can save your life or theirs. Yeah, I mean, with people running around with uh, Harriet Tubman's thimble, yeah. like, 
Or sometimes you really need some very, uh, very specific knowledge of who a person is to save the day. Yeah, and if someone's getting, you know, messed up by, say, touching a telegraph they're not supposed to be touching, you want to be able to detect that. Right, you don't want to think they're uh, suddenly drinking again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so... So it seems we found the guy with the flask because he's way too into it. Yeah, someone... Yeah, one of the reenactors says something about, oh, well, Private Johnson was, you know, he hit me with the butt of his rifle or whatever. He was getting way too into it. We have rules against that sort of thing. Uh, right. Yeah, it's it's very convenient, although probably not all that unusual that they didn't have any actual shot to load the muskets with. Well, yeah, you know, much is made about the fact that these are real bayonets, but, you know, you don't want to, uh... It's a reenactment. You can't go around shooting people. Yeah, so having having shot balls there at all is a bad idea. Yeah. Like, if you're going to play with guns pointing them at one another, you should make very, very certain there's not even a hint of a projectile nearby. Yeah, even though, like, yeah. Even though, like, there's apparently cannon fire happening? I don't know what that's about. Uh, so they probably have, like, little charges buried underground. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you set off a buried, uh, not quite firecracker, a little larger, yeah. it won't hurt anyone, but it'll throw a lot of dirt. Yeah, that makes sense. So if if you want to do a war reenactment, it's very good. You can fire some cannon blanks and then just explode pieces of ground. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh... And it, so we have, and then we have a scene where we see Private Johnson. We can tell because he has the flask that says U.S. Grant written on it in fine golden, fine silver filigree and everything. It looks very nice. And, uh, you know, dude is going ham. And Steve, right. Steve, like, falls on his ass or something. Claudia rushes up in costume wearing, you know, this, this big flouncy blue dress and a fancy black wig it's like oh steve get sorry good steve gets taken out because the uh the guy with grant's flask hits crouching uh heavy kick and does a sweep with his rifle hell yeah <laughs> like <laughs> fuck him up <laughs> like which is weird because he had the guy at bayonet point yeah i don't know what I don't know what school of uh, Civil War tactics this guy went to, <laughs> but when you have the guy at bayonet point, generally jab him with the bayonet yeah. <laughs> is what you would do after that. Ah, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, Steve's on the ground, Claudia intervenes with a bunch of, oh, you wouldn't shoot through a lady, would you? Or whatever. And uh, then she zaps, zaps him with the micro Tesla in the day is saved. A micro right. Tesla that and she had recently invented and I guess not told anyone about. Right, yeah, because this is like one of the first times we're seeing it. Uh, so she's now suddenly in some uh, Southern Belle dress and black uh, fancy curled wig yeah. thing. Which they uh, 
they play with that too. Like she pulls the Tesla out of uh, presumably her bra and like just pulls more things out too. And Steve's like, got anything else in there? And she's like, a sandwich if you're hungry. Yeah, she's got a PB and J in there. She's got the the bag for the artifact. Right. Uh. I. And then Steve opens up a little bit after this. He, you know, oh, this reminds me of my. Well, a Claudia's like, oh, that was such a Laverne move. Uh, and then Steve kind of opens up to her about like, oh, that was just like my big sister. She was always saving me from things. Sweet swooping in to save the day. That's my big sis. <laughs> like, sure, I guess. Why not? Uh, I I don't know what kind of life you led before the bef- you know with your sister Steve, but okay. Uh, I I don't have any siblings. I don't know how accurate this relationship is. I couldn't tell you, but it does seem. Uh- I have an older sister. It's not that weird. Fair enough. It's pretty normal. Fair enough. Like, you generally don't get along very well, but, like, uh, older siblings tend to be protective of younger siblings, even if they don't get along. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and I suspect if a sibling uh, dies at, like, late high school, maybe just graduated age, you know, you would remember especially more the ways that, uh, you would look to them in a nice light. So you would remember especially the ways they looked out for you and not the ways that they, uh, were yeah. cruel to you ever or whatever. Yeah, n- like that's, that's not what people do generally. Yeah. Especially not to like, you know, especially not to like, people you don't know all that well you're not gonna be like oh you're and you are comparing too favorably like it wouldn't make much sense to be like oh thanks for saving my life claudia you remind me of my big my dear dead big sister who i fucking hated uh right (laughs) uh uh so so yeah sorry go ahead oh uh so yeah we have uh Save the day on both fronts. Uh, Pete and Micah have one last conversation with uh, with the ex-wife and uh, and her new husband, where Pete kind of like I don't know. I guess is like, oh, you got yourself a uh, a real fine major there, uh, referring to his wife to her new husband and like gives him a little salute. <laughs> yeah. It's a real awkward sort of thing. Yeah. We also, I, this is earlier in the episode. Then Micah's like, uh, Micah jumps in with, uh, uh, after they walk away. Yeah. Her new husband's a jerk. Yeah. He's, he's a real tool. I think was her exact words. Right. Uh, cause Pete is all like, Oh, how come her new husband had to be such a great guy or whatever? And Right. And so Micah, I guess trying to make him feel better, says, eh, don't worry about it, he sucks. Right, which, if you saw the thing he muttered to her right before they got married, where it's something about owning her, yeah, like, yeah, it does sort of seem like he sucks. This isn't exactly the resolution I want. Yeah, 
Like, like no one was wishing for uh, Pete's ex-wife to have a shitty married life. Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> uh, and which reminds me earlier, uh, Amanda does in fact get the Top Gun reference Pete was trying to make, which is, you know. Unsurprising. Yeah. Which I oh, I guess if you were married to Pete, you would you would hear all of his uh, all of his pop culture references. Right. It it's not like it was the first time he made that Top Gun reference that day. It was the third. Yeah. Like Yeah, like especially like I imagine Pete in in the army would make even more top make even more mo- military movie references. It, it probably presents itself a little more often. Yeah. Although this is one you can use any time you're answering the phone. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he, I'm almost certain his wife has uh, heard it before because he uses it any time he's answering the phone lately. Yeah. And uh, I think that's about everything that happens at this episode. Yeah. Uh, they... When they're back at the warehouse, uh, Claudia and Steve... Well, Claudia is snooping around Steve's sister. Yeah, she finds a a news article about her dying. Right. Who has red hair in a vaguely Claudia-like haircut. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't know, I... The photo in the newspaper is just, like, awful. Like, it's very hard to work out facial proportions. It looks all wrong. Yeah. And I, I think it says she was... Someone said she was 20 when she died. Okay. That's what and, That's what I remember. I didn't write it down or anything. And she was killed by a stray bullet. This is what motivated Steve to join the ATF. Yeah. He was going to stop everyone who has a gun so that stray bullets don't kill people anymore. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Like, it would be more understandable if she was the victim of a violent crime. Yeah. But she was a victim of a tragic accident, and, like, that's not the ATF's job, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm very sorry, but... Uh, the ATF's charter is not to stop everyone from owning guns. Yeah, like, but yeah, by that logic, he should have been like a you know a gun safety instructor or something, or a, a community act, or a community organizer trying to change the law or something. Not right. Be, not becoming yeah, the a cop. normal route. <laughs> not becoming a cop, but I realize like i realize when you are writing a show like this you kind of have to start at the end and work backwards you know right he's an atf agent why is he an atf yeah. agent oh gun uh, problem dead sister gun thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. but upon being caught snooping uh they have a real uh heart to heart moment where she's like, oh, you don't have to talk about this. It's uh, yeah, it's fine. I shouldn't have been snooping. And he's like, uh, no, I, I, I'm actually pretty chill with talking about this, actually. Yeah, it, it's fine now, I guess. Uh, Which, I mean, Steve's not that far. It, it would be like probably 10 years ago. 
at the time. Something like that. Because Steve would have been at least in his later teens when his sister died, I would think. Yeah, like, he, she can't have been that much older than him. Early life, TBA, according to the fandom wiki. <laughs> Thank you. That's convenient. So I, I looked up, you know, Bureau, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and, uh... Honestly, it would have made a lot more sense if, like, his sister had died in, like, I don't know, an arson... Yeah. Yeah. Or even drunk driving. Yeah. Like, because... I don't know. Or a more direct sort of, like, not just stray bullet. Like, she was killed by a stray bullet from a robbery gone wrong. Yeah. So, like... Like, why didn't they just write her as getting robbed and killed by the robber? Yeah. Like... Yeah, why, why did they, why did they have to go out of their way to make it make less sense? Right, like they didn't want it to be that violent. Did they focus group this? <laughs> uh, here lies Pete's sister. She was smuggling alcohol across state lines. <laughs> she had alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, and, and it just all went wrong. <laughs> Uh, she she wanted to complete the quadrifecta. Right. Yeah, the wiki doesn't have anything real good on the age gap there. But, like, Steve is old enough at this point that he should probably be pretty comfortable talking about this with a co-worker. Yeah. I, you know, like, again, like, you don't owe anyone, like, details about your family. But it's also kind of like... I don't know. Maybe he knows that... Maybe he's like, well, it sounds silly if, if I say why I became an ATF agent out loud, so I should not tell anyone. Right, but you can't ever escape having that conversation. Like, at some point, it happens. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult, you have to be able to have that conversation, yeah. even if you avoid it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he, he seems to have it just fine. Like, he doesn't, like, yeah. start crying or anything. Yeah, he seems to have a very normal uh, sort of way about him when it comes to this. <laughs> it's definitely a lot more normal than Pete's dead dad thing. Yeah. Like, because Pete's character just constantly stomps all over... The things you normally do just to be courteous. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, he just keeps bringing up his dead dad when it's really grossly inappropriate. Hey, are we talking too. about dads here? Well, I could tell you one thing <laughs> right. about dads. Mine's dead. You should feel guilty about thinking your dad is bad because mine's dead. Yeah. <laughs> like... That is a horrible thing to do. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's a weird situation. Yeah. Uh, so, if anything, Steve is written a lot more reasonably. Because, yeah. like, he avoids talking about it because it's not like it's a super comfortable thing. Yeah, like it's... As but also, when the conversation has to happen, he seems to have a pretty normal, okay, I can have this conversation. Yeah, because it's, it's not like if someone said, like, hey, you know, where are you from? Tell me about yourself. It's not like you would 
open with dead sister. Right. Yeah, as someone with a lot of familiarity about this, people are really awkward about talking about uh, your dead close relatives. Yeah. Like, that's just how it is. It's tiresome for the most part. Mm-hmm. If you If there's not a good reason to have the conversation, you avoid it. Because it's just going to be an awkward conversation. Yeah, like, that that conversation isn't really going to go anywhere. Like, they'll say, I'm sorry, and then... Because they don't really want to change the subject, because that seems rude. But there's also really, like, nowhere you could really go with that. Yeah, it, it's it's difficult. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but yeah, so we get our nice heart-to-heart, so we feel that suddenly Claudia and Steve are closer to one another. Which is a good thing, because as this series likes to do, they... I think they don't ever imply it real heavily, but they do imply that there's a lot of time between episodes. Yeah. So, like, I'm not remembering specifically, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be a lot... Like, Claudia and Steve are going to be a lot closer in the next episodes you see them interacting. Because this is clearly not Claudia and Steve's second mission together. Right. Yeah, and they're... So, they have to show something that shows they're getting more comfortable around one another. Mm-hmm. And soon they're gonna be besties. Yeah, they're gonna be a regular Pete and Micah. Right. A regular Laverne and Shirley. A regular Clarty. <laughs> but apparently the next episode uh, doesn't even feature Steve. Oh, he's just not there? Yeah, he's somehow... Just not there. Uh, Sometimes Steve's aren't there. How does this happen? I I don't understand. Like, he's a main character now. Because it's weird, because he's always still listed as guest appearance Aaron Ashmore as Steve Jinx. Right. Yeah, and it's, like, credited only. (laughs) Like... But, like, he's... Yeah, but he's, uh... He's famous, he's important enough to be on the cover of the Warehouse 13 board game. Yeah, like, the next episode features Lena in credits only, and doesn't have Steve Jinx in the credits. So that's something. Mysterious. I don't know if they ever even address what he's doing. He's off having a a Steve adventure. You know, Steve, right. he's off, I guess, doing Buddhism or being gay. <laughs> right. One of his two character traits. <laughs> he's either doing Buddhism, being gay, or having a dead sister. <laughs> or just like being a downer somewhere else. Uh, uh, we are going to get some Steve-centric episodes that get real in-depth on who he is. Uh, coming up here soon, and it's uh, it's interesting, I guess. Oh, good, we're getting a lot more Steve lore. Ooh, and then the week after that, we get the uh, the yeah. uh, Isekai'd into a video game episode. Ooh, which I guess is also another Eureka crossover. <laughs> yes, uh, it has Doug Fargo in it. 
Yeah, which is as many Eureka characters as the last Eureka <laughs> crossover. Ah. Uh. They can only afford one of these guys. And apparently it's the same one every time. <laughs> uh, well, you know how Doug is. I mean, I don't right. really, because I've only met him You've once. You've watched one episode? Yeah. Yeah, well, I saw the other crossover episode, and I saw the episode of Eureka, but, you know, that's about it. And, like I said, it's a horrible place to jump into Eureka. Yeah. Because they just changed a bunch of major things about how the world works. <laughs> uh, like, I believe the episode before that crossover episode was the one where he discovers uh, that he filled his office full of, like, propaganda featuring his face. Yeah. So, like, they have the reveal of the pre- the him from this universe being an an egomaniacal like horrible boss and then he gives all of that stuff away because he's uh not real into yeah. it but he gives it to claudia which should be embarrassing as hell yeah especially given like he likes claudia he spends a lot of time trying to flirt with her right and this is not impressive yeah no it's it's weird like i i kind of understand it like i you know I've sent stickers of myself to fr to friends, but like, they asked for those, and you know they were aware of the situation. Not, I'm not giving someone I barely met a bunch of like weird propaganda featuring myself. Right, and your stickers are cool and good. Damn right. And if you'd like to order one, you can get them at princess.software/order. I'm showing my microphone <laughs> the excellent sticker. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, good taste. Yeah, that one's the uh, weird science one. Ooh, that is good taste. The one on my water bottle, so always close at hand. Ah. <laughs> uh. I don't have anything else to put stickers on right now, which means if a sticker is over a certain size, I don't have any place to put it. Yeah, that's the mood. I, uh, yeah, I got some, some new OCM stickers in the other day, and like, well, shit, what am I going to put these on to model them? You know, every, almost everything else I could stick has been stickered, including, like, you know, the laptop and everything. Yeah, I need something to put pins on, too, mm. because I've amassed a large number of pins, and I just got a really cool one from uh, the guy who uh, sent me my uh, my old Soviet watch. Like, without any uh, indication that he was going to do this, he threw in a cool uh, old Soviet biplane pin. Ooh, that is cool. Yeah, it's, like, painted. Oh, that is pretty rad. I like it very much, and the plane is very cool. I learned some stuff about it. It apparently doesn't have a stall speed. Ah. Uh... So, like, the instructions for a pilot, if it if you were to lose all engine power is to just pull the stick all the way back because it will make a nice controlled landing. If you just keep the nose up as much as possible until you find your way to the ground <laughs> where it lands at approximately parachute speed. That makes sense. <laughs> like, Easy to remember. 
Yeah, it's a plane where the failsafe is just pull the stick all the way back and wait till you hit the ground. (laughs) Easy to remember. No complicated landing procedures. Yeah, and it'll work nearly anywhere because you land at an extremely low speed. But I guess that's what happens when you design a biplane in the late 40s. Look, you you have to plan... Look, it's late 40s, you're in a biplane, it's going to go wrong. I mean, the the thing with designing a biplane in the late 40s is planes had gotten so much better that there was no point in making biplanes for the most yeah. part. But... In this case, it works because they used it for, like, uh, agriculture pilot uh, stuff, like crop dusting. Mm -hmm. And a biplane makes a whole lot of sense when all you want to do is fly low and slow with thousands of gallons of liquid. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Well, anything else? Like, this is a short episode, and it's because, like... Honestly, not all that much happens. Like, a lot of airtime is filled with, like, this this wedding fight scene. Right. It, it does feel like they had to fill some space with this episode. Yeah. And it's weird because, like, when you think about what actually advances the plot, it's always, like, they didn't do anything to advance the plot. Like, they try to escape the... Uh, the castle so they can go to the hospital so they can x-ray the ex-wife yeah. but they don't do it but then Artie just works out the answer yeah and then like oh we can't leave because you know uh, because the ex-wife told them not to let anyone in or out and then and then they just kind of forget about that because i was like oh um you just have to put the bee by your left clavicle and suck the thing out but he only does that like way later after we've had the whole fight yeah. scene. Yeah, it's genuinely, like, it's really strange how they do the exposition throughout this. Because normally, you find artifact, you have to come up with solutions to deal with artifact special uh, effects or whatever. And then you uh, you save the day that way. In this case, they started the episode with the artifact found... And then the shenanigans happen. And then Artie just fixes it from his office drinking cough yeah, syrup. But but he only fixes it after he's had enough time. After, like, there's been some nice padding in between everything. Right. Like, I don't get why they didn't actually escape to the hospital. Yeah, like... Like... I, I mean, and it's because, like, you know... They would have gotten to the hospital and then Artie would have told them how to get it out, I guess? Right. Which would have been fine, but at least they made a plan and executed yeah. on Look, it. Look, we already, we already <laughs> like, rented out this castle set or whatever. We're not also right. doing... We don't need to rent a hospital, too. Yeah, I mean, they have to have a hospital set, given, like, I don't know, how often they seem to wind up in a hospital. But, yeah. I mean, they're in a city that basically makes all of television, so I'm sure they have a hospital set that is borrowed from, you know, one of those shows that takes place in a hospital. Like, you gotta have, you know, 
at the very least, maybe a local hospital just has extra space and they have a set. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Like, hey, do you have like a spare bed we could use to shoot some TV? Right. Like, if they're using it often enough, it's probably worth it for the hospital. I mean, yeah, it's like how, uh, like, you know, the diner where they filmed the diner scenes in Seinfeld. I don't even think they serve food anymore. They just, like, make their money, you know, renting this... With Seinfeld tourists. Yeah, like, yeah, I think they they make... I don't know if it's that diner, but, like, there are, in fact, places where, like, well, we used to be a restaurant, but, like, they shot a TV show here, and now we make most of our money, like, you know, do, you know letting people film here. We don't even serve food anymore. Yeah, apparently they had to, uh demolish someone's house in order to make more room near the uh, Christmas Story house Mm. up in Cleveland. And, like, it's just appalling, like, to me, that they demolished a perfectly good home so that more people could come look at the Christmas Story house. Like, it's just... Which is just a house. It's just a house. It's not, like, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just a house. Anyways, shall I play us out? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, truly, it was a warehouse thirteen. I've been the inter- I have been the internet's beloved princess Grace. You can find my writing programs, podcast posts, and everything else that's fit to plug, including uh, my software on floppy disk and some lovely stickers at princess.software. Timmy, where can we find you? You can find me uh, at Timmy at George.horse, or uh, you can find longer form writing about music at uh, minidisc.rocks. Hell yeah. See you around. A common man is a common cult. You know I'm bigger than a body and I'm sweeter than gold. I got shots for hands, detective eyes. You never known something quite like the back of my thighs. Well, no, baby, no, so on your shit. Cause you're done fucked up and you're scared of me. You better learn from a man who's afraid to dance with a witch like me and a wicked chance.